أعوذ بالله من الشيطان اللعين الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا ونبينا محمد وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد السلام عليكم dear brothers and sisters ورحمة الله وبركاته and welcome to another episode of the life of Prophet Muhammad We've been discussing the conquest of Mecca, the Fath of Mecca, and we reached uh, some of the historical accounts that relate to the way in which the Prophet entered Masjid al-Haram. We have a narration here from al-Waqidi, and again, just to kind of uh, quickly summarize, we see that the Prophet he enters the sacred uh, masjid. The idols are toppled. Uh, they're taken out of Masjid al-Haram and they're crushed. And we have a narration here from Al-Waqidi, who's the, uh, you know, the famous historian who died in two, 207 after the Hijrah. He narrates from Ikrama, uh, who's, this, who's uh, the son of Abu Jahl, and we'll speak about him inshallah a little bit later. An Ibn Abbas qal, we mentioned that when the Prophet entered Masjid al-Haram, you know, during the conquest, he performed tawaf around the Kaaba while he was mounted on his camel. وَجَاءَ مَعْمَرْ ibn عَبْدِ And then the Prophet ﷺ, he dismounted his his camel his camel was taken away the prophet after uh, performing the tawaf he proceeded towards the maqam of ibrahim and the narration here says the narration here says that maqam ibrahim you know, for those of you who've been to Hajj or you've, you've, you've performed Umrah, you see that Maqam Ibrahim is several meters away from the Kaaba. This was done after the death of the Prophet During the lifetime of the Prophet, Maqam Ibrahim was actually attached to the Kaaba. And this makes sense because Maqam Ibrahim is where the footprint of Ibrahim was when he was building the, or rebuilding the Kaaba. So naturally, it would have to be close to the structure of the Kaaba. And of course, after the death of the Prophet, the Khulafa after the Prophet, they moved it. When Amir al-Mu'mineen salam, you know, was given the outward, the apparent uh, Khilafah, he was always the Khalifa of the Prophet, he was the rightful successor. He returned Maqam Ibrahim, to its original position. So Maqam Ibrahim was attached to the Kaaba. So the Prophet, he goes to Maqam Ibrahim, The Prophet, he performed uh, a two-rak'ah prayer behind Maqam Ibrahim. The Prophet while he was performing tawaf, while he was praying, he was wearing his armor. And he was wearing his helmet. And he was wearing a turban on top of his helmet. So again, from these narrations, we understand that these are things that are permissible to do during, uh, during uh, these rituals. So from these narrations, we understand that it is, we can deduce that it is permissible for someone to perform tawaf while they are mounted on an animal. It is permissible to pray, for example, wearing a helmet or wearing your, your armor. These are all you know, uh, legal uh, rulings that we can derive just by observing the actions of the Prophet So the Prophet, he performs his tawaf. And you can just imagine, you know, everyone is observing, they're watching the Prophet. Uh, this, the Prophet, is, this is the same man who was expelled, who was exiled, and now he has entered into the sacred mosque as a conqueror. And he performs all of these uh, religious rituals. We have another narration here 
and this is found in multiple sources. The narration is from Jabir ibn Abdullah al-Ansari. He says, لَمَّا أُلْقِيَتْ الْأَصْنَامِ كُلُّهَا لِوُجُوهِهَا When all of the idols were crushed and smashed, وَقَدْ بَقِيَ عَلَى الْبَيْتِ هُبَلْ After all of the idols were destroyed, there was still one idol that remained, and that was the idol Hubal. Hubal was the grand idol of Quraysh, and it was situated on the roof of the Kaaba. وَقَدْ بَقِيَ عَلَى الْبَيْتِ هُبَلْ الصَّنَمْ الطَّوِيلِ فَنَظَرَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ إِلَىٰ عَلِيٍ عَلَيْهِ السلام. So the Prophet, he sees this massive idol on top of the Kaaba, so the Prophet ﷺ, he turns to Ali ibn Abi Talib and he says to him, Ya Ali, tarkab alay aw arkabu alayk li'alqi hubal an zahr al-Ka'ba. Do you want to climb my shoulders or should I climb your shoulders so that we can knock down this idol from the roof of the Ka'ba? فَقَالَ عَلِيٌّ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ بَلْ تَرْكَبُنِي the, the Imam alayhi salam, he says to the Prophet that no, it is, it is more appropriate. You should climb on my shoulders. Amir al-Mu'mineen alayhi salam uh, was, did not want to put his feet on the blessed shoulders of the Prophet. So Ali ibn Abi Talib says, Ya Rasulullah, you climb on me. And I'll give you the boost to go and knock down uh, the idol. فَلَمَّا جَلَسَ عَلِيٌّ So Ali then crouches down, he kneels down. And the Prophet ﷺ climbed on the back and the shoulders of Ali. قَالْ بَلْ أَرْكَبُكَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen السلام, he felt the weight of the Prophet. And he said that no, no, I'll I'll climb, I'll climb on your shoulders. Amir al-Mu'minin salam was unable to carry the Prophet on his shoulders, and this is you know one of the the mysteries that we see in the seerah of the Prophet. Ali ibn Abi Talib salam is the same person who was able to lift the gate of Khaybar, but he's not able to carry the blessed body of the Prophet. And this is one of the unique distinctions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to the Prophet. So it's as if, you know, this, this spiritual weight of the Prophet also had a real material effect in the sense that he couldn't carry the Prophet. And therefore, they switched places. So, the Prophet ﷺ, he comes down, Amir al-Mu'mineen, Ali ibn Abi Talib, is not able to lift him up. And some narrations, they say that uh, this, the, Ali was unable to carry the weight of the Prophet's nubuwa. There's something special, something unique about you know, the Prophet's physical body. So he wasn't able to carry him. So the Prophet, he dismounts, he comes down from Ali's uh, back and his shoulder, and the Prophet smiles, he laughs. And the Prophet, he bent his back. The Prophet, he said to Ali, you climb on my shoulders. So Ali ibn Abi Talib, he climbs on the shoulders of the Prophet. He places his feet on the shoulder of the Prophet and the Prophet gives him a boost. There's a narration where Amir al-Mu'mineen salam he says that when I stood on the shoulders of the Prophet he says, Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen he said, that when I stood on the shoulders of the Prophet, he says, I felt as if I could touch the sky. That when I was standing on the shoulder 
of the greatest of Allah's creation. I felt that there was no limit to what I could reach. This is another uh, distinction, another unique characteristic that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to the Prophet. فَصَعِدَ عَلَى مَنْ كَبِهِ ثُمَّ نَهَضَ النَّبِيُّ بِهِ حَتَّى صَعِدَ عَلِيٌّ عَلَى الْكَعْبَةِ Then, so the, the Prophet, he was, he was kneeling down, Ali climbed on his shoulders, and then the Prophet stood up, he gave him a boost. And the Prophet basically was able to elevate Ali, so Ali then was able to reach the roof of the Kaaba. وَتَنَحَّى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَآلَيْهِ After Ali was able to kind of climb up to the roof of the Kaaba, the Prophet, he stepped back. He wanted to see what Ali was doing on top of the Kaaba and he started to give him instructions, telling him, Oh Ali, smash it, break it. وَكَانَ صَنَمُ قُرَيْشِ This was the, the highest deity for Quraysh. Now Amir al-Mu'mineen السلام, based on these narrations, now, now Ali is on top of the Kaaba, and he wants to come down now. So he crushes Hubal, and the narration says, وَلَمَّا أَرَادَ أَنْ يَنْزِلَ عَلِيٌ أَلْقَى بِنَفْسِهِ مِنْ صَوْبِ الْمِيزَابِ Ali ibn Abi Talib wants to come down from the roof of the Kaaba. So he goes to the direction, he goes to another direction of the Kaaba where you know there was some sort of makeshift gutter and he jumped. Amir al-Mu'mineen jumped from the top of the Kaaba down to the ground. Why did he do this? Amir al-Mu'mineen, he did not want to come down and step on the shoulders of the Prophet. He did not want to burden the Prophet. He was embarrassed to, to have the Prophet carry him down. So Amir al-Mu'mineen, he jumps from the top of the Kaaba. It seems that it was a the roof of the Kaaba was quite high. It was very elevated. And Ali ibn Abi Talib, he jumps down and his feet land on the ground. And Amir al-Mu'mineen begins to laugh. He, he smiles. فَسَأَلَهُ النَّبِيُّ عَنْ تَبَسُّمِ The Prophet, he looked at Ali. And he said, Ali, why, are you, why do you look so amused? فَقَالْ لِأَنِّي أَلْقَيْتُ بِنَفْسِي مِنْ هَذَا الْمَكَانِ الرَّفِيعِ وَمَا أَصَابَنِي أَلَمْ Amir al-Mu'mineen, he says, I'm smiling because... I just jumped off of the roof of the Kaaba and it's it's quite high. And I thought that I would get injured. I thought that I would at least feel some pain upon impact with the ground. But I did not feel a single uh, I did not feel any pain as I jumped and landed on the ground. I don't feel any pain in my knees and my feet. So the Prophet ﷺ, he says to Ali, and this line, it really gives a person goosebumps. Rasulullah says to Ali, كَيْفَ يُصِيبُكَ أَلَمْ وَقَدْ رَفَعَكَ مُحَمَّدٌ وَأَنزَلَكَ جِبْرَائِيلٌ The Prophet says, oh Ali, how can you be afflicted with pain when you were lifted up by Muhammad and you were brought down by Jibra'il? The reason why you didn't get injured, the reason why you did not feel any pain when you jumped from the roof of the Kaaba down to the ground is because Jibra'il, he made your descent comfortable. He protected you as you came down from the Kaaba. So the idols that were surrounding the, the Kaaba were all destroyed, including Hubal. Now the Prophet ﷺ wants to enter inside the Kaaba. He wants to go inside the Kaaba. Shaykh al-Tabrasi in his book, I'lam al-Wara, and Shaykh al-Tabrasi of course is a, a Shi'i uh, scholar. Uh, he wrote uh, this book on the biographies of the infallibles. He narrates, عن أبان ابن عثمان الأحمر البجلي الكوفي عن بشير النبال 
These individuals they narrate from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam. Qal. So Imam al-Sadiq he says, Qal sa'ala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi an miftah al-Ka'ba. The Prophet started to ask about the keys to the Ka'ba, the keys that open up the door which gives you access to the interior of the Ka'ba. The Prophet had been outside of Mecca for over eight years now. He wants to know, okay, who has the keys to the Ka'ba? The Prophet is told that the keys to the Ka'ba are with a woman by the name of Umm Shayba. She's the cousin of Hind, the wife of Abu Sufyan. The son of this woman, he was a Muslim. And his name was Uthman ibn Talha. So the Prophet, he summons the son of this lady. He says, go to your mother. Tell her to give us the, the keys to the Kaaba. Uthman, he says, yes. I'll go to my mother and I'll retrieve the keys to the Kaaba from her. وَخَرَجَ إِلَىٰ أُمِّهِ فَقَالَ لَهَا يَا أُمَّا أَعْطِلِ الْمِفْتَاحِ فَإِنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ قَدْ أَرْسَلَنِي وَأَمَرَنِي أَنْ آتِيهِ بِهِ He goes to his mother and he says, O mother, give me the keys to the, the Kaaba. The Prophet has sent me and he has commanded me to retrieve them from you. فَقَالَتْ لَهُ أُمُّهِ His mother says to him that, you know, Muhammad and his followers, they, they killed many of our men. They took a lot of our loved ones from us in battle. تُرِيدُ أَن تَأْخُذَ مَكْرَمَتَنَا Now you want to come and take our honor from us? It's an honor to be, you know, the custodians of the Kaaba. You also want to take that from us? Uthman was a bit harsh with his mother. فَقَالَ لَهَا لَتُرْسَلَنِّ بِهِ he threatens to kill his mother. He says to his mother that if you don't give me the keys, I'm going I'm to kill you. So she gives him the keys. Now, of course, the, pro- the Prophet you know, didn't you know, instruct him to be you know, so uh, harsh with his mother. In any case, he gets the, the keys and he delivers it to the Prophet The Prophet, he takes the keys and now he enters inside of the Kaaba. Al-Waqidi, he reports what the Prophet saw when he entered uh, the Kaaba. رَوَى الْوَاقِدِي بِسَنَدِهِ عَنْ أُسَامِ ibn Zayd. This report is from Usama ibn Zayd. قَالْ لَمَّا دَخَلْنَا مَعَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ When we entered the Kaaba with the Prophet. It seems that the Prophet, he didn't just go inside of the Kaaba by himself. The Prophet entered with a group of his companions. Usama ibn Zayd being one of them. لَمَّا دَخَلْنَا مَعَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ الْكَعْبَ رَأَى فِيهَا صُوَرًا The Prophet, when he entered the Kaaba, he saw images and pictures and depictions. فَأَمَرَنِي أَنْ آتِيهِ بِدَلْوٍ مِنَ الْمَاءِ The Prophet commanded me to bring him a bucket of water. The Prophet wanted to wash the inside of the Kaaba. فَأَخَذَ ثَوْبًا وَجَعَلَ يَبُلُّهُ وَيَضْرِبُ بِهِ الصُّوَرِ The Prophet would wet you know, a rag, he would clean the inside of the Kaaba, and he would remove these pictures and these images. وَيَقُولْ قَاتَلَ اللَّهُ قَوْمًا يُصَوِّرُونَ مَا لَا يَخْلُقُونَ May Allah punish a people who portray things and they, they deify things while they have not created them. وَرَوَى عَنِ الزُّهْرِ Az-Zuhri, who is another uh, early uh, hadith scholar and historian in the Sunni tradition, he reports about the Prophet, what he saw when he was inside of the Kaaba, أَنَّهُ رَأَى فِيهَا صُوَرَ الْمَلَائِكَةِ Az-Zuhri says that when the Prophet entered the Kaaba, he saw images of angels. There were drawings or paintings, certain de- depictions of malaika. And this is very possible because as we mentioned in our earlier uh, episodes, one of the false beliefs 
of the pagans of Arabia is that they believe that the angels were the daughters of God. So it makes sense that they would have artistic depictions of angels as the daughters of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَصُورَةْ Maryam. They also, for whatever reason, they had an image, a drawing, a painting of some sort of Maryam alayhi salam. You know, maybe this was uh, something that was sent by Christian uh, pilgrims who used to visit this area. So there was an image of Maryam alayhi salam inside of the Kaaba. وَصُورَةْ Ibrahim, And there was an image of Ibrahim. There was a picture of Ibrahim alayhi salam in the Kaaba. And the image of Ibrahim, and Ibrahim was respected even by the pagans. You know, they saw him as, you know, their patriarch. He was depicted as an elderly man, as shaykhan kabiran yastaqsimu bil-azlam. He was engaged in this type of, you know, lottery where when people would be confronted with a decision, they would, you know, uh, draw lots in the form of arrows. It was some superstitious belief and they they portrayed Ibrahim السلام, engaging in this uh, superstitious practice. The Prophet, when he saw these images, he was deeply offended. And he said, Allah. May Allah punish them. May Allah destroy them. They turned Ibrahim into a superstitious man, someone who deals in Islam and this you know, these uh, lottery uh, practices. Now after the Prophet Sallallahu performs the, the rituals of tawaf and salah, and he purifies the Kaaba from idols, the historical uh, reports tell us that the Prophet Sallallahu he actually gave a sermon. He gave a khutbah after conquering Mecca. And in this khutbah, the Prophet ﷺ, he granted general amnesty to the Meccans, to the pagans of Mecca. There is a narration where Imam al-Sadiq and this report is found in uh, Al-Kafi, in Furu' Al-Kafi. Shaykh Al-Kulayni, he mentions the narration, a uh, full chain of transmission going back to Imam al-Sadiq. Imam al-Sadiq he says, ثُمَّ أَخَذَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ the Prophet he took hold of the two handles on the door of the, the Kaaba and he started to speak to the people. And he said, He said to the people, Know that there is no God other than Allah without any partners. Allah has fulfilled his promise. And Allah has helped and supported his servant. He's referring to himself. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he caused all of the allied forces to retreat. The Prophet is speaking about, you know, when the, the mushrikeen and the Jews, all of them, they formed an alliance to destroy Islam and the Muslims. They besieged Medina in the, the Battle of Ahzab, which was also known as the Battle of Khandaq. The Prophet says it was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who dispersed you, who caused you all to flee and retreat. Notice the Prophet and this speaks to his humility. He doesn't see himself or his army as the ones who caused their enemies to retreat. He says Allah was the one who caused the ally force, allied forces to retreat. The Prophet says, what do you think? What should I do with you people? How should I pay you back for what you've done to me and my family and my companions and my followers? So the mushrikeen, the pagans, they say, We say, but nothing but goodness, and we assume nothing but the best from you. You're a noble brother. Now they call him the noble brother. In Badr, in Uhud, in 
Khaybar, they didn't treat him as a noble brother. But now they expect the Prophet to be noble with them, to be honorable. They say, Akhun Kareem, Wabnu Akhin Kareem, Waqad Qadirt, you know, you haven't you now have power over us. Faqala sallallahu alayhi wa Look at the response of the Prophet. Brothers and sisters, it's very easy to forgive and pardon over small transactions, over small transgressions. These are the people who chased the Prophet out of his home. The Prophet lost Abu Talib, he lost his wife Khadija, he lost Hamza. He lost many of his most beloved friends and companions. These are the same people who were rejoicing when Hamza was killed and when Hamza's body was mutilated. So what does the Prophet say to these people? فَقَالَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَآلِهِ فَإِنِّي أَقُولُ كَمَا قَالَ أَخِي يُوسُفِ He says, I say to you people, what my brother Yusuf said. Of course, Yusuf here is a reference to Prophet Yusuf. And he is, he's not the biological brother of Rasulullah, but he's the spiritual brother. Because all of the prophets, they're brothers, in the sense that they are united in their mission. فَإِنِّي أَقُولُ كَمَا قَالَ أَخِي يُوسُفِ لَا تَثْرِيبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الْيَوْمِ He says there is no blame upon you today. And then look at what the Prophet says. He says, يَغْفِرُ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ وَهُوَ أَرْحَمُ الرَّاحِمِينَ The Prophet, he says, Allah forgives you for He is the most merciful of the merciful. Notice, the Prophet doesn't say, I forgive you. The Prophet ﷺ, he doesn't even see himself as a part of the equation. He is so humble and so down to earth. It's as if he's saying to them that, I don't have any personal vendetta against you people. Our conflict was never personal. I was only fighting for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah will forgive you. The Prophet ﷺ, completely dissolved himself in the love of Allah Azza wa He doesn't see this as a struggle between himself and the mushrikeen. He says, Allah forgives you. He doesn't even see himself as a part of the equation. And then he says, after granting general amnesty to the, the pagans of Mecca, he says, Ayyuhannas, لِيُبَلِّغُ الشَّاهِدُ الْغَائِبِ the Prophet, he has an important message. He says, O people, let those who are present convey to those who are absent. Whatever I speak to you today, I want you to pass along to those who are not with us today. What is the message of the Prophet? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He has abolished through Islam the arrogance of the pre-Islamic era. These tribal alliances, a lot of these superstitions and these meaningless traditions that we would hold on to, Islam has abolished all of these things. And Allah has abolished this Tribalism, where a person boasts about his ancestors and what tribe he hails from, none of this is important. The Prophet is essentially saying that I don't want you to discriminate against each other on the basis of your tribal affiliations. Ayyuhannas, innakum min Adam wa Adamu min teen. He says, O people, you are from Adam. And Adam is created from mud. He's created from the earth. This message of the Prophet, it resonates today. During the time, during the pre-Islamic era, people were divided. They were disunited on the basis of, I belong to this tribe and you belong to another tribe. In the modern world, we're not that much different. We've just replaced tribes and clans with nation states. I'm from this country and I'm superior to you because you're from you know, a developing country. I'm from a developed country and you're from a developing country. This, this is a modern day jahiliyyah. We're all the same. 
were all from the descendants of Adam alayhi salam. Ala wa inna khayrakum indallah wa akramahum alayhi liyawm atqaakum wa atwa'akum la. The Prophet, he says that verily, the best among you with Allah and the most honorable among you today are those who are the most pious and the most obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the Prophet he basically says to the Muslims, he says to the Meccans, that, that if there is any bloodshed, or if there is any injustice that was perpetrated, we leave all of that behind. We pardon each other. We don't hold on to those grudges of the past. Now, after the Prophet ﷺ, he delivers the sermon where he covers some of the, the basic tenets of Islam, the Prophet ﷺ, he returns the keys to the Kaaba to Uthman ibn Talha. Shaykh al-Tabrasi, he writes in I'lam al-Wara, fi khabar, fi khabar aban, an Bashir al-Nabbal, an al-Sadiq, Imam al-Sadiq says, after the Prophet purified the Kaaba, he summoned, he called upon Uthman ibn Talha, the same man who brought him the keys. The Prophet said, Ibsat ridaak, open your, your cloak. And the Prophet, he placed the keys of the Kaaba in his cloak. And the Prophet said to him, Ruddahu ila ummik. Give it back to your mother. This is amazing, brothers and sisters. The Prophet ﷺ could have kept it to himself. He had every right to do so. Al-Waqidi, he says that when Uthman was given, when Uthman ibn Talha was given back the keys and told to give it to your mother, فَاسْتَقْبَلْتُهُ بِبِشْرُ وَاسْتَقْبَلَنِي بِبِشْرُ he says, I smiled at the Prophet when he gave me back the keys. You know, this family, they wanted to be the custodians of the Kaaba. It was an honor for them. He says, I smiled and the Prophet smiled back at me. And then the Prophet, he said to him, Khuduha ya bani Abi Talha. Take the keys to the Kaaba. And it can remain with you. And then he says, Ya Uthman, inna Allah hasta'manakum ala bayti. But take this responsibility seriously. You are now the custodians of Allah's house. Do not allow polytheism to, to be revived. Be the custodians of Tawheed. Be the custodians of God's sacred house. Do not allow any idols to be erected here ever again. At this time, the Prophet ﷺ, after purifying the Kaaba from the idols, he does something unprecedented. He commands Bilal to call the Adhan from the top of the Kaaba. Bilal was the official Mu'adhan of the Prophet. And the Muslims, of course, you know, five times a day, they would, they would hear the voice of Bilal in Medina, in the Masjid of the Prophet. But now they're in Mecca. Now... The pagans, you know, these people who were fierce and staunch enemies of the Prophet, now for the first time, they're seeing an Abyssinian slave who would be regarded as a second or even third class citizen. He is now standing on top of the sacred Kaaba and he's making the call for prayer. Shaykh al-Tabrasi, he reports an narration from Imam al-Sadiq. And he, Imam al-Sadiq says, وَدَخَلَ وَقْتُ الظُّهْرِ You know, after the Prophet removed the idols and he cleaned and purified the inside of the Kaaba, it was the time of Salat al-Dhuhr. فَأَمَرَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَآلِهِ بِلَالًا فَصَعِدَ عَلَى الْكَعْبَ وَأَذَّنَ The Prophet instructed Bilal to ascend, to climb the Kaaba and recite the Adhan. فَقَالَ عِكْرِمَةً Ikrima was there. Ikrima is one of the seniors. He's one of the most prominent people in uh, Mecca. He's the son of Abu Jahl. He's one of the aristocrats. 
When Ikrama saw Bilal standing on top of the Kaaba and reciting the Adhan, he said, Wallah. So imagine some of these mushrikeen, they're, they're, they're huddled up together and they're listening to the Adhan. They're seeing Bilal ibn Rabah standing on top of the Kaaba reciting the Adhan. Ikrama, he says, Wallahi in kuntu la akrahu sawt ibn Rabah yanhaqu ala al-Kaaba. Ikrama says, I hate to hear the voice of Bilal, you know, shouting from the top of the Kaaba. وَقَالَ وَقَالَ عَتَّابِ بِنْ أُسَيْدِ أَخُوْ عَتَّابِ ابْنِ أُسَيْدِ He says, Alhamdulillah, he's another one of the, the pagans. Alhamdulillah, الَّذِي أَكْرَمَ أَبَا عُتَّابِ مِنْ أَنْ يَرَى هَذَا الْيَوْمِ ابْنَ رَبَاحْ قَائِمًا عَلَى الْكَعْبَ Another one of them, Ibn Usaid, he says, that, Praise be to God that he honored my father by not allowing him to witness the day that the son of Rabah stands on top of the Kaaba. The most moderate in his reaction to this was Suhail ibn Amr. This is the same uh, man who was negotiating. Uh, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. He's also one of the the head figures of Mecca. When he saw Bilal on the Kaaba, he says to his friends, his companions, "He a Kaabatullah. The Kaaba belongs to Allah. Wahuayara, and Allah sees what is happening. That this black man is standing on the Kaaba. If Allah wanted to, He could have changed this. So he's expressing his discontent." But he's basically saying that it belongs to Allah. Allah can do with the Kaaba whatever He wants. Qala Abu Sufyan. Abu Sufyan was also there. It must have been very painful for someone like Abu Sufyan to see a black slave like Bilal standing on top of the Kaaba and he's the official Mu'addin of the Prophet in Mecca. Bilal used to be a slave in Mecca. He used to be whipped. He was seen as subhuman in the eyes of Quraysh. Qala Abu Sufyan, Abu Sufyan says, you know what? I'm not going to say anything. Why? I'm not going to say anything because I swear by God, if I speak, I think that these walls would inform the Prophet of what I'm saying. He was paranoid about his words getting back to the Prophet. In the seerah of Ibn Hisham, Ibn Hisham, he notes that when these individuals, when Suhail, when Abu Sufyan, when Ibn Usaid, when these people were uh, standing close, when they were in the vicinity of the Kaaba, فَخَرَجَ عَلَيْهِمْ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَعَلَيْهُ The Prophet, he came to them. Now they had these private conversations, they were insulting Bilal privately. The Prophet came to them and he said to them, قَدْ عَلِمْتُ الَّذِي قُلْتُمْ The Prophet said to them, I know what you said. I know what you said about Bilal. ثُمَّ ذَكَرَ ذَلِكَ لَهُمْ And Rasulullah mentioned to them exactly what they said about Bilal. He mentioned in details their insulting remarks. فَقَالَ الْحَارَثِ بْنِ هِشَامِ وَعُتَّابِ بْنِ أُسَيْدِ The men who were there, الْحَارِثِ and عُتَّاب, they said, وَاللَّهِ مَطَّلَعَ عَلَى هَذَا أَحَدٌ كَانَ مَعْنَا They look amongst themselves, they're like, none of us went and told you. فَنَقُولْ أَخْبَرَكَ There's not, no one from among us went to you to deliver this, the content of our private conversation. فَنَحْنُ نَشْهَدُ أَنَّكَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ at that moment, at least the two of them, two of these men, they said that we bear witness that you're the messenger of God. Otherwise, how could you possibly know what we were saying in our private conversation? The Prophet ﷺ, after the conquering of Mecca, he remained there for some time. And he gave at least two sermons that we're aware of. Perhaps he gave more sermons. But he, the narrations tell us that he gave another sermon. 
And in this sermon, again, he goes over some of the important tenets of Islam. He says, for example, O people, indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sanctified Mecca. The day He created the heavens and the earth. Mecca has always been a haram, a sacred sanctuary. And it shall remain sanctified until the day of resurrection. It is not allowed for any believers who believes in Allah in the last day to shed any blood. When you're in Mecca, there should be no bloodshed. Mecca was never made halal before me. It was never made halal, meaning that these restrictions were never lifted. They always were there. Nor shall it be halal after me. And even for me, it was made halal for a brief hour in the day. Now during the conquest of Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ, he allowed Banu Khuza'a to seek revenge against Banu Bakr for killing, uh, for killing some of their uh, members. He allowed them to retaliate within, within, uh, within the boundaries of the Sharia. He allowed them to exact revenge. But then after they exacted revenge, after they uh, initiated the, the retaliation, it was stopped. So the Prophet is saying that it was made halal only for a brief hour. So if anyone says to you people that Rasulullah made Mecca halal, meaning that he allowed bloodshed, Rasulullah says, respond to them by saying, Allah made it halal for the Prophet, and he did not make it halal for you. That was an exception. The Prophet gave a, an exception to Banu Khuza'a for a brief period. And then the sanctity of Mecca is restored and there can be no more uh, bloodshed. The Prophet ﷺ, he remained in Mecca for about 19 days. A little over, almost three weeks, he remained in Mecca. Now when the Prophet was in Mecca, there were a number of notable uh, conversions uh, that took place during this time. Among the converts were three prominent Meccans. These are people who did not convert, they had not yet converted to Islam. Suhail ibn Amr, as we mentioned, Safwan ibn Umayyah, this is the son of Umayyah ibn Khalaf, who was the slave owner of Bilal ibn Rabah. We spoke about uh, you know, the torture and the persecution of the early Muslims in Mecca, and we spoke about uh, Bilal and his, uh, his owner Umayyah ibn Khalaf. This is Safwan, the son of Umayyah. And then Ikrama ibn Abi Jahl. Ikrama, the son of Abu Jahl. Now in terms of the story, relating to the story of Suhail ibn Amr, now when the Prophet entered Mecca, he did not condemn Suhail to death. There were certain people that the Prophet ﷺ, he gave a kill order. That these are people that need to be put to death. Suhail wasn't among those people. So technically, the Prophet ﷺ included him in that general amnesty that he gave. But Suhail, he remained in his house out of fear. When the Prophet conquered Mecca, he stayed inside of his house. And when his son asked him that, you know, why, why don't you leave the house? He says to his son that there is no person who is alive today that has caused more harm to the Prophet than me. He was afraid. He did not want to leave his house. So Suhail's son, Abdullah, he goes to the Prophet. His son was a Muslim. He says to the Prophet, Ya Rasulullah, can you grant protection to my father? The Prophet ﷺ, he granted protection. He was already protected, but it seems that he wanted assurance that uh, his father will be protected. So Abdullah, he was overjoyed when he received that assurance from the Prophet that no harm will reach his father Suhail. So when Abdullah goes to his father, Suhail ibn Amr, and he says to him that Rasulullah has granted you protection, he's given me that assurance, Suhail ibn Amr, he says, Kana wallahi barran sagheeran wa kabira. This man, Muhammad, I swear by God, he has been righteous as a young man and as an adult. Subhanallah, all of them they attested to the noble character of the Prophet. The Prophet ﷺ, he said to his Sahaba, he said to them, مَنْ لَقِيَ سُهَيْلَ بْنَ فَلَا يَشُدُّ النَّظَرُ إِلَيْهِ The Prophet, he said to his companions that if you run into Suhail ibn Amr, do not glance at him with wrathful eyes. فَلَعَمْرِي إِنَّ سُهَيْلًا لَهُ عَقْلٌ وَشَرَفٌ 
He says, because Suhail is a man of intelligence and he's a man of honor. Someone like Suhail is not ignorant of Islam, meaning that do not push him away from Islam with your harshness. Be open-minded, have a big heart. Perhaps he will embrace Islam. And eventually he did. After the battle of Hunayn, Suhail ibn Am, he converts to Islam. Then you have Safwan ibn Umayyah. Safwan ibn Umayyah was among those who tried to fight back as the Muslims were conquering Mecca. Unfortunately, him, you know, you know, him and his men, they were defeated and he fled. He ultimately fled. Safwan ibn Umayyah, he had an old friend by the name of Umayr ibn Wahab. Umayr ibn Wahab, he goes to the Prophet. He had converted to Islam. He begged the Prophet to grant him protection. The Prophet ﷺ, he took off his turban and he gave him the turban. And this was a sign of trust. The Prophet is basically saying to him that, trust me, I grant Safwan ibn Umayyah protection. We're not going to harm him. So he found Safwan in Jeddah. He, he traveled far. And he convinced him to return. Initially, Safwan was... Uh, suspicious, he thought that his friend Umayr was trying to be treacherous, he was trying to deceive him. He ultimately comes back to Mecca, he convinces him that Rasulullah, he granted you protection, look this is his turban, this is a sign of trust. Safwan ibn Umayyah, he returns to Mecca, he sees the Prophet, he says, Ya Rasulullah, grant me two months of protection. The Prophet said, I'll give you four months of protection. He was taken aback by the magnanimous character of the Prophet. Eventually, he converts to Islam after the Battle of Hunayn. So the Prophet's forbearance inspired many of, many of these individuals who were some of the most staunch enemies of Islam. The Prophet's softness and his forgiving nature allowed them time to embrace Islam. And then you have Ikrama, Ikrama ibn Abi Jahl. He was also among those who fought uh, the army of the Prophet during the conquest, he fled to the Red Sea coast. And he was intending on escaping to Habasha, escaping to Abyssinia. What happens is that he boards a ship, and the captain of the ship, subhanAllah, he says that each passenger has to bear witness that there is no God other than Allah, so that our, shi our ship is protected. So Ikram is sitting, and he's thinking to himself that, my idols, they have no power to save me. Wherever I go, I'm confronted with the Lord of Muhammad. So his wife sends word to him that Rasulullah has offered temporary protection. He's granted amnesty. So he returns to Mecca. Now as he's coming to Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ, again, he tells his companions that, you know, be gracious with Ikramah. You know, despite his long time enmity to the Muslims, the Prophet says to his companions that do not malign his father. Right? Don't, don't refer to his father as Abu Jahl, because that wasn't his real name, it wasn't you know, a way of uh, denigrating him. So to this extent, the Prophet did not want to offend people. If he saw that there is a potential for them to be guided, or at least to neutralize their danger to Islam, the Prophet would always employ a policy of tolerance and forbearance with those who he suspected could have their hearts softened uh, to Islam. So these individuals who converted after the conquest, what does the Quran say about them? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah 57, Surah, surah 57, Ayah number 10. He says, لا يستوي منكم من أنفق من قبل الفتح وقاتل أولئك أعظم درجة من الذين أنفقوا من بعد وقاتلوا وكلا وعد الله الحسن والله بما تعملون خبير. Allah says, not equal among you are those who spent before the conquest of Mecca and fought and those who did so after it, meaning that those who joined Islam 
before the conquest of Mecca and those who gave their wealth in the way of Allah and those who fought in the battles of Islam before the conquering of Mecca, they have a higher status than those who joined Islam after Islam emerged as a superpower and after the Prophet conquered uh, Mecca. But to all, Allah has promised the best reward. You know, those believers, those who sincerely converted, all of them are going to be rewarded, but there is a hierarchy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is highlighting here that there is a hierarchy among the followers of the Prophet. They're not all the same. You can't compare, you know, Ammar ibn Yasir, who was there in the trenches with the Prophet in, in the early days of Mecca, and he was there in, in, in the battles of, uh, of Badr and Uhud. You can't compare Ammar to someone like Ikrama or someone like Suhail ibn Am or someone like Muawiyah and these individuals. There's a hierarchy and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes that very clear. Now after about three weeks, you know the Ansar were observing the Prophet and they could tell that the Prophet was delighted to be back in his homeland, to be back in Mecca, his birthplace, to reconnect with people that he hadn't seen for many years. And some of the Ansar, in their hearts, they felt, they felt sad. They felt deflated. And they thought to themselves that, you know, maybe Rasulullah is going to neglect us. Maybe he's just going to settle in Mecca and he's never going to come back to Medina. This thought had crossed their minds. And some of them actually brought this concern to the attention of the Prophet They thought that, you know, the Prophet is not gonna, he's not gonna go back with us to Medina, that we lost him and now he's gonna relocate and settle in Mecca. But the Prophet he made a vow to them during the Aqaba pledges, during those difficult days in Mecca. And he reminds them, he reminds the Ansar that you don't need to worry. Yes, I'm happy to be back in Mecca, but he says to them, he quells their anxiety and he says, I emigrated to you. I did hijrah to you people, with you and for you. My life is your life and my death is your death. The Prophet ﷺ essentially says that even though Mecca is my birthplace, I am going to be buried in Medina because you are the people who gave me refuge when my own people drove me out. My life is with you and my death will also be with you. This concludes our discussion on the Fath, the conquest of Mecca. In our next episode, we're going to transition to another serious battle that takes place. Shortly after the conquest of Mecca, there were two tribes that launched an attack on the Muslims, the tribe of Thaqif and Hawazin. And this is known as the Battle of Hunayn. Inshallah, we'll cover this in our upcoming episodes. Thank you so much, brothers and sisters, for tuning in once again. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.